I'm Jamie Nye. He's Drew Romenda. This is the Green Zone. Welcome into the Thursday edition of the show. Uh, Drew, what do you think? What do you think? Trap game tonight for the Edmonton Oilers? Trap game, right? Oh, trap game. You love the term trap game, Drew. I know trap you do. Game and yeah, a trap game and statement game are the two I really love. <laughs> Fourteen yeah. game win streak against the league's worst Chicago Blackhawks. Trap game. Trap game. Trap them in. Trap them into what? Oh, some of the things we say in the, in the National Hockey League is just. <laughs> I don't know who comes up with it, but we all just think it's part of the vernacular and like, let's, let's go with it. It's terrible. Well, uh, we're going to take you to Salt Lake City, uh, Utah, maybe home of the 33rd franchise in the National Hockey League after the news that came down yesterday that uh, the NHL is listening. And why wouldn't you listen for potentially $700 million or so as the owner of the Utah Jazz, Ryan Smith, is very forward in his desire to bring an NHL team to Utah. And Andy Larson joining us from the Salt Lake City Tribune, who is the beat writer for the Utah Jazz, and maybe soon need to learn a little bit more vernacular from NHL, like trap games, etc. Don't say Uh, that. (laughs) Andy, uh, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Yeah, thanks. thanks for having me. Okay, tell us more about Jazz owner Ryan Smith and his passion to bring the NHL to Utah. Yeah, you know, I, I think kind of the easiest uh, analog for for kind of the national or, I guess, international audience for you guys up in Canada is he's kind of the new age Mark Cuban, right? Like uh, tech billionaire making his uh, money in, in Qualtrics survey software um, and is very much kind of that mover and shaker likes to be seen with celebrities likes to be seen with athletes and uh and tries to bring kind of all of that to utah which is obviously traditionally kind of a smaller state uh, and uh in salt lake a, a smaller city right um but he believes kind of in the potential of the area to to grow um you know they're they're now the the 29th biggest media market in in america um and is kind of the evangelist a little bit in kind of showing people, hey, here's some of the cool things about Utah. Here's why uh, the economic development is happening here. Here's why it makes sense as a destination, not just for the NBA, but also for the NHL, and uh, even uh, trying to get a Major League Baseball team here uh, in Utah as well. So there's kind of a lot of growth happening in the state recently, and Ryan is kind of trying to push that forward and and push that forward in, in sports terms as well. So with your knowledge of of him, uh, the business uh, in Utah, the sports landscape, how realistic do you think this is to actually have an NHL team there in three, five, ten years from now? Yeah, honestly, I think pretty realistic. Uh, You know, it just checks a lot of boxes for what the NHL might be looking at in terms of expansion. I mean, you've got obviously – a willing ownership group that, that's ready to put up an, ex, an expansion fee. Uh, you have broad government support for a new arena for that team. Um, you know, I think kind of maybe some people, especially in Salt Lake City, are, are a little bit less excited about maybe paying for that, that stadium. And so we'll mm-hmm. see what that ultimate taxpayer public financing package looks like. But um, in general, you, you do have a wide base of government support for a new arena and, and a sports and entertainment district around that arena that makes ownership more money, right? Um, it, it's 
interesting. You know, I, I don't know that there's a lot of hockey uh, history here in Utah. You know, there, there is the East Coast Hockey League, uh, Utah Grizzlies team. They're an affiliate of the Colorado Avalanche here. They draw okay, but not amazingly in kind of their current minor league hockey arena that they play in. Um, there are, you know, obviously kind of the smallish hockey leagues here as well, uh, just rec leagues as well, but it's not never really been a, a hotbed of hockey by any means. You know, we there's only one uh, NHL NHL player based or from Utah right now, that's, that's Trevor Lewis, and uh, obviously he's near the end of his career. So uh, it's kind of an interesting time to bring hockey in, and, and while it kind of accomplishes their goals, um, and it does seem like a, a pretty likely scenario, kind of given the the feedback that we're hearing from Jazz ownership from Ryan Smith, uh, and, and frankly, that NHL state statement yesterday was so positive uh, in, in from Gary Bettman and the league that you do kind of feel like, hey, these conversations have been going on for a long enough time, uh, and the the tea leaves are as positive as they are that it does feel like this probably gets done. So when we're, when we're looking at Utah, they did have the IHL team, the Utah Grizzlies. I think they moved from Denver, if I remember correctly. I coached in the IHL during that time. I remember going to Salt Lake. Always had a great crowd. And that, that year, I think they won the championship, if I remember correctly. Um, there was the Salt Lake Eagles way back. Um, when you look at Salt Lake's population, as far as the demographics go, our are the demographics there, do you think, for that new fan that everybody's looking for? From, you know, we want that 18 to 35 age group that is interested in the game. Yeah, you know, I, I think from that point of view, yes. Like, uh, Utah is the youngest state in the nation. Uh, on a percentage basis, you look at, you know, the under 18 group and then that second old, oldest group, like you say, kind of that millennials, 18 through 34. Uh, is the second biggest group in Utah. Like that is, we are the youngest state in, in the nation. And I think that's appealing for the NHL, appealing for Gary Batman, um, appealing for those marketers, right? Like, uh, I, I think it's definitely part of it. Like you said, there is kind of that hockey history. Um, yeah, the, the Grizzlies were an IHL team and then they, yeah, got, uh, they decided to move to the ECHL, uh, about a decade ago, if I'm remembering right. It's funny, my mm-hmm. dad actually worked at, uh, the Salt Palace, um, for the Salt Lake Golden Eagles. And so, uh, has fond memories of that franchise before, uh, they moved away. But, you know, so, and, and those games, you're right, were really heavily supported. And, uh, I think hockey was a, a big player then in a way that, you know, the, the Grizzlies move quite hasn't, hasn't quite satisfied in the kind of same way. But, um, it, you know, that being said, like you said, it's kind of the demographic lineup where, uh, Utah is one of the fastest growing states in the nation. Utah is one of the youngest growing, uh, is the youngest state in the nation. Uh, Utah's kind of tech scene is really bold, uh, is, is developing and is, uh, you know, so you, you have kind of this economic base of companies that are likely going to the sponsor the team. And so I think the financial picture does work out. Uh, you know, from a population size point of view, you're, you're talking about, yeah, the 29th, 30th biggest market in the U.S. You know, it's, it's kind of right on the fringes there, but it makes some sense. You know, compared to uh, some of the other candidates for a team, obviously, you know, you are competing with the Houston's, you are competing with the Atlanta's, um, but it does feel like with kind of an Olympic heritage too, and that younger audience, maybe a, a more winter-focused audience, you, you have maybe a higher chance of success. What kind of sports town is Salt Lake? 
a really passionate one. I mean, I, I really do, and, and I encounter this in my work every day. Jazz fans, uh, you know, they're the only professional sports league in, t- in town right now, but they are incredibly passionate, right? Like, they are as, as good of fans as it gets. Uh, you know, even when the team is not playing well, even when you're below 500, even when the Jazz recently traded their two biggest stars, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, they're still selling out the Delta Center. Um, and that's been really cool to see. Um, they're, they're passionate as all get out. You know, they're, they are big college football fans. Um, but these are really, really good fans. You know, it's, it, they're, I, I, you know, I've, we've talked about, yeah, kind of the other candidates for expansion here, Houston, Atlanta, and I think, there are kind of questions about uh, how good of sports towns those are or how reliably you're going to fill those arenas. I don't really worry about that with the NHL coming to Utah. You know, I, I really think that they could get some really great, passionate fans to fill that arena. You know, they kind of in the Vegas Golden Knights, Seattle Kraken yep. kind of mold. Yep. And, I, you know, I, I think that's not at all what I would be worried about. Uh, from, from an NHL point of view, you know, you do have some, I guess, competition there with the Jazz in terms of, uh, winter game night schedule and, and that'll be interesting. I, you know, I think ultimately they do play in the same building, uh, in, in the end. And, and so, uh, you, maybe you don't have those teams playing on the same nights, which helps Ryan Smith out. But, uh, I'm, I'm not really worried about how the, the market will kind of adapt and, and, and root for this team. I think just because Utah sports fans are a really, really passionate bunch. As we're joined uh, right now, Andy Larson here uh, joining us from Salt Lake City Tribune. As is there going to be a thirty third franchise, or is it going to move? Is it going to be Arizona moving to uh, Salt Lake? Andy, what yeah, do you think? I mean, it, it, it seems like uh, I'm trying to read the tea leaves over here from you know, kind of the, the Phoenix reporting and, and the newspapers and, and experts down there. It still does kind of seem like. Gary Bettman wants to keep them in Arizona. Um, yes, he does. But taxpayers are 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 not happy. Are are not excited about spending hardly any money down there to to build that new arena. So, I I, I think kind of the decision there is going to be Gary's as, along with Alex Morello, their their current owner. I, I you know ultimately it sounds to me like Ryan Smith immediately kind of thought, hey, maybe we can be the home for the the Coyotes. And now is more focused on the expansion possibility as, as more likely. Um, but he, you know, he has been clear like, Hey, if we are the, uh, easiest path for the NHL to, to figure out a solution with the Coyotes, uh, then, then we'll be that solution. I, I think he would prefer of the two options to kind of start a new franchise with a new history, uh, a new team name, new team colors, all that kind of stuff really kind of started from scratch. Uh, and it does sound like. Given it, kind of the way Batman's been talking recently, and and Ryan Smith has been talking recently, that feels like the more likely option. Uh, Andy Larson joining us, Salt Lake uh, Tribune, as we uh, look at the uh, potential of a new franchise in Utah. But he's also uh, the beat writer for the Utah Jazz. Um, two basketball questions for you, Andy. Um, one is: Did you, have you ever eaten at the pizza place that allegedly made Michael Jordan sick before the flu game? <laughs> You know, they kept that on the down low, and I don't know why, you know. They yeah, why would you keep that quiet? <laughs> they, they weren't super excited about being like, hey, we're the, we're the guys who serve pizza that make, the, you know, the most famous athlete in the world sick. <laughs> I'd put that on a billboard. I'd put Michael Jordan ate here, 
flu game on the billboard. Anyways, uh, but the other one, I'm just curious. One of the big stories last night in the NBA, Luka Doncic getting a fan kicked out of the game for pretty much telling him to get on a treadmill. Um, you cover the NBA. You are reporters are always seated like be in front of the fans near courtside. Is the vitriol that that not not like that was that bad? But what do they hear? What gets a guy kicked out of a game? And was that enough to get a guy? Well, he wasn't kicked out of the game. He was moved to the concourse last night uh, with Luka Doncic. Yeah, like you know, I, I you're right that we're we're there all the time, and I would say. You know, 90% of games, there's not anything crazy, maybe more than 90%. Um, you know, I, I think, to me, what I, what I read from Tim McMahon's reporting there, and obviously I wasn't at the, the Mavericks game yesterday, but um, that to me, that what that fan said about Luca needing to get on the treadmill was a good old-fashioned bit of banter between uh, a fan and a player, right? And, I, you know, I think Luca said after the game, hey, he had been saying some other things and cursing at me and whatever else. Uh, it, you know, ultimately, I think it's funny that Luca had that fan ejected. I, I think some, it's kind of the, the rap on, on NBA players is that they're too soft in that way, right? Like that it's kind of two player centric, mm-hmm. uh, that they can kick fans out. I'll tell you this though. I, I would bet something like 80% of NBA players are also probably laughing at Luka Doncic today because they, <laughs> really because they want to, they, because they've probably said some of that same stuff on the court and trash talking to Luka. Exactly. Right? Like, <laughs> uh, so, look, I, I think to me, I, I think that's where you need to have like a, a clear line in the sand of what's acceptable and what's not. And maybe players shouldn't be able to throw out fans. Um, you know, maybe a security should be able to, if, if they hear something, you know, that, that crosses the line of racism or what have you. But to me, uh, if a player just gets annoyed and, and gets under, uh, uh, you know, a fan gets under a player's skin with some good comment like that, like, I, I, I think that's some of what's fun about sports and I, I'd love to see that stay. Well, Andy, it's a uh, great chatting great with stuff, you today Andy. and uh, maybe we'll have you back talking some, uh, Utah, whatever the name's going to be for the National Hockey League. Yeah, I, I'm curious what the name's going to be. The the governor kind of shouted out the idea of Utah Yetis uh, yesterday. No, which is, <laughs> no, it's got some. <laughs> it's it's got a, a. I don't know if it's got a ring to it, but it's got. Some weird <laughs> it's got something it. that's but, for sure. Uh, anyway, we'll we'll see what happens. I'm I'm excited if they do if they do end up getting the team, and excited to talk to you guys again, maybe. Uh, Salt Lake City Tribune's Andy Larson, beat reporter for the Utah Jazz on the NHL beat yesterday with the news that came down that owner Ryan Smith of the Jazz he desperately wants an NHL he's, team uh, he's in already, Utah. He's already asked the NHL, okay, what's the process? And they're they're starting to go under. They're starting to do it. So. This, this is 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Jamie Niger, Amanda with the Air the Green Zone on this uh, Thursday afternoon. Still coming up, uh, we will go to football at Fort Britain Gray. His predictions on the NFC and AFC championship game, plus the news. In Ryderville today, veteran offensive lineman Philip Blake will return. Injured for much of last season because of a pectoral injury at the end of the last, like near the end of his reps in the preseason game and was out for, but he was a big free agent signing last year and I'm sure will be a welcome return to that offensive line again for the Rough Riders 
Their interior, I think, looks solid. Godber, Furland, Blake. Now, can the tackles stop the pass rush for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? But right now, we're going to talk some sports business. Breaking down the business of sports with Tom Mayonek. And we do so every Thursday with Tom Mayonek, the host of the Sport Market Heard every weekend here on CJME and CKOM. Uh, Tom? We have, uh, I think we've been talking a little bit about streaming lately uh, when it comes to uh, sports and sports entertainment television. And it went up a notch uh, this week. Uh, You have been uh, talking about it on social media. The WWE, Monday Night Raw in the States, and everything, all WWE programming Canada, moves to Netflix on a 10-year, $5 billion deal. How significant is this deal, and what impact could this have on more leagues seeing the money from streaming services? Well, first of all, it's eye-popping in terms of the the volume and how many multiples of the previous rights all in that this thing contains with Netflix. We're talking, obviously, $5 billion U.S., about $6.7 billion Canadian dollars. Uh, it's interesting because... It's almost as if it's the dream arrangement for WWE. That's how heavily Netflix has pursued them because essentially Netflix has the opportunity uh, to bow out early after five years. But on the other hand, they've got the opportunity to do another decade, which would be 20 years. And by that time, you know, you're fully ingrained. You would never move all of it elsewhere. Um, uh, you might move some of it elsewhere in, in 20 years, but essentially that's building a heritage, a heritage connection. Uh, it is definitely another one of these tipping points and we're, we're seeing it. Uh, uh, it's almost like the last few weeks on the green zone. Each week we've talked about either the Peacock exclusive NFL wildcard, uh, uh, streaming opportunity that wound up doing 23 million, um, you know, in, in, in the first round two weeks ago, uh, we're talking about uh, the growth of uh, Amazon Thursday Night Football since they've had exclusive rights, not just streaming, but exclusive rights overall. And uh, talking about um, uh, the Valley's regional sports network deal where Amazon Prime has now done, a, done an investment, uh, done, done a, a package with them that will have some of the regional sports networks on Amazon Prime. And so no matter... You know, where you look, you, you, you've got streaming coming up in a big way. And it's been described by uh, uh, TKO, which is the holding company for both WWE and UFC, as the next step. And it certainly is a, it is a big step. And it's, I, I, I can't even say how much activity it will generate, um, uh, you know, not only at Amazon and at Netflix, but Hulu. Uh, you know, uh, uh, other other streaming platforms that are looking to sort of make their mark, a Peacock, which used the NFL game to basically increase its subscription base by 10%. It went from $30 million to about $33 million. All these things are happening at the same time. And, and, you know, a year or two ago, we were still talking about streaming being about one-tenth the broadcast equivalent. Uh, that's changed in a big way. And uh, WWE's comfort in going with Netflix here reflects that. So, bottom line for Netflix, 
Is it just they will they believe they will make this back on subscriptions? Or not only make this back, but make it back and more? Or is it lead to to more things for Netflix to go in a different direction as far as sports and sporting events or sports entertainment? I, I think a little bit of both, Drew. I think, first of all, um, they're not only going to have <clears throat> uh, uh, subscription growth here, uh, they will share in revenues on, on, on pay-per-view um, because they'll be housed at Netflix. Uh, there'll be all those additional uh, revenue opportunities. But I think they're looking to use this to create a, a sports division. I know we have a, 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 a design out there, and uh, it has been uh, you know successful in its own right, uh, but I always thought that Netflix was going to be a um, – uh, it was going to show an interest in sports, and it was only a matter of time. Well, here we are in 2024, and, and, and it's, it's happening in a big way. But I do think the larger play is what they can do to drive audience uh, in other sports. And I think that um, it, it, it makes sense for a UFC <laughs> potential partnership coming down the road because of the relationship with TKO, the holding company that's, uh, uh, that, that, that's being done. And once they've got that critical mass of sports, then you've essentially got everything from live sports to the documentaries to drive to survive, uh, yada, yada, yada. And that, be- <laughs> that will become a real big hook for Netflix moving forward, in my view. Tom Manek with us. Uh, a lot of uh, broadcasting rights, of course, on, on traditional cable radio, all of it, it, it gets into the advertising world, and streaming has always made a lot more on no ads, uh, et cetera. But uh, as Netflix gets into this with WWE and other people go into streaming, how much will advertising revenue also come into this other than just subscriptions? Well, I think, Jamie, it's a very prescient uh, uh, point because that's a big discussion that's happening. Almost this two-tier subscription is being, uh, you know, uh, previewed and, and factored into plans. And by two-tiered, I mean uh, with ads and without ads. Uh, you know, one entry-level price, uh, if you can put up with the ads, uh, another premium price if you want to avoid ads altogether. I think you're going to see that applied here, and I think you're going to see that, you know, uh, some innovation experimentation around it, um, you know, on the other platforms. For example, it was interesting that Peacock's wildcard game, uh, the fourth quarter, went commercial-free, and that was an interesting experience for fans uh, to sort of be walked through special interview and, and content segments where they'd normally been, uh, have been taken for between two to four minutes of, of, of advertising. So I think you're going to see a lot more movement on the way packages can be customized, and that'll affect how much you pay in subscription and how much you pay with your patients uh, in terms of sitting through 30-second CMs. Or, of course, in that commercial free game, uh, a lot of shots of Taylor Swift uh, sitting in the uh, luxury box, which okay, is a great segue into uh, what my next question is going to be, Tom Mayanect. I asked Drew I like this. this question. I asked I like Drew this. this. Fifty million people watch the Chiefs and the Bills. Most watched divisional game ever. I want to see if Tom Mayanect, if you, in of all your sports business knowledge and rights and audience share, can you put a number 
on how many people were watching because of the Taylor Swift phenomena. Just alone. Not just football fans, probably at the 40 million or more mark. But would you have a number? Like, Do you think they're getting a million, two million more people just because of the hype around Kelsey and Swift? Well, you know, it's such a fascinating question because, you know, to me, um, television hooks are, are rarely standalone. Uh, the best watched uh, television programs, it's because there's drivers that cover a series of demographics uh, that there's almost like a little bit of story for everyone, so to speak. And so uh, I do think that it's almost impossible to separate the heat of what NFL ratings would be without Taylor Swift from what they are with Taylor Swift, because they'd be pretty good without her anyway. But the uh, the demographics, and some of the survey uh, uh, work that's being done is showing that definitely 2024's playoff audience is younger than 2023 and 2022. And so you'd have to think that the Taylor Swift uh, phenomenon is part of that. In answer to your question, you know, I, I, I would be surprised if it's a heck of a lot more than 10% kind of thing. Um, but that 10% bump is a significant bump when it's put against just how popular all of the games are, not just, you know, Bill's Chiefs. Now, Bill's Chiefs is a remarkable story, though, guys, in that, uh, you know, to hit 50.4 million, which is, the you know, the first uh, ever um, uh, divisional uh, game that has gone, you know, past 50 million, uh, this divisional showdown, has you know it basically has um, attracted more than all five NFC finals the last five years, and three of the five AFC finals. They tend to be in that forty-five to fifty-five million range for the conference championship, which is just one step removed from the Super Bowl. So it's just remarkable that it was fifty point four million south of the border and four million here in Canada. There's no doubt in my mind that Taylor Swift had an, had a significant impact on that particular game. Um, because if you look at those 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 uh, markets of Buffalo and Kansas City, they're, you know, uh, bottom seven markets in the National Football League. This is not a L.A. versus New York, you know, New York Giants kind of showdown or even a Chicago market, uh, you know, playing against each other. So uh, I, I think... You definitely have to nod yes that it's a factor, and it might be even more of a factor than I'm suggesting. But it, it, I, I would be comfortable saying that there's probably 10% of the audience that is there for Taylor Swift first and for everything else second. Really, I was, I thought, I thought that was, I thought it would be a little bit less than that. So I, I compared it to, to. When the UFC had their big fight between Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner, and that that one big fight that just sent the UFC on its trajectory, the ratings kept going up, not round by round, but basically minute by minute because people were on the phone to each other. Goes, are you watching this right now? Are you seeing what's going on? And people would tune in, so the ratings went up. I thought Swifties, the people wanted would tune in and want to see the their their idol their hero their their god um that after they saw taylor a couple times they go okay enough i'm not going to watch kelsey and and mahomes and josh allen bang it out 
Well, you know, again, it's a great discussion. It's a great thing to spitball over. But here's here's why I'm suggesting the number is in that range. And, and you know, maybe I could be pushed to, um, uh, uh, to, to go to, you know, 15 to 20 percent. You look at the numbers, okay? The American National Audience, 50.4 million on CBS for that bill's chief showdown, despite two really small markets, despite the fact that normally uh, 50% of a a regular season game and more than 33% of a playoff game comes from the two local markets themselves. Local markets are very, very important. There's something big at play here with 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 Taylor Swift and the Chiefs, and 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 I will tell you, it's more than Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Jason Kelsey uh, probably knows awesome. some numbers himself, you know, because that became a soap opera within a game, and soap operas drive TV numbers. But then you look at Detroit against Tampa Bay. That was the most watched um, uh, uh, NBC game uh, in 30 years, uh, 40.4 million. So that's 10 million less than a game in which Taylor uh, Swift was featured. It was, you know, uh, again, open to discussion, but on both sides of the border, it certainly would be a factor. And guys, you know, we're, uh, we, we talk, we've talked about this the last few years on the Green Zone. These numbers are generational. And uh, over the course of this year, both the back half of the regular season and now the playoffs, the numbers have been so strong that if you buy the notion, and I do, that the more people listening to your story or watching your story at the beginning of the playoffs, the more will be there for the Super Bowl. Uh, we're tracking to a record a Super Bowl number. And if it is Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs and Swifties Nation, uh, you know, I think it'll, it'll, it'll safely be... Uh, uh, the most watched Super Bowl of all time. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Of course, they got to get past Baltimore first. Uh, Tom, always appreciate your time. I know you'll be busy on the sport market uh, this weekend uh, here on 980 CJME and 650 CKO. Jamie Nigel Remenda with the year on the Green Zone. Uh, we're following the uh, falling dominoes in the National Football League when it comes to coaching vacancies. They're all filling up all of a sudden. Uh, of course, Jim Harbaugh going to the L.A. Chargers. Dave Canales hired by the Carolina Panthers, a former Tampa Bay assistant coach. Uh, now moments ago, Raheem Morris announced as the new head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. So there's two jobs left, Seattle and Washington. Are we going to see a 20? Is Bill not going to get a job, Drew? Is Bill not going to be a Bill Belichick? No, nobody that, wants I imagine, Bill. I imagine he goes in and interviews the the GM and the owner just as much as they interview him. And he would be particular about what he wants in order to join your organization. In fact, that's what people are writing down here all the time, that it's just as much Bill's choice as anybody else's. It'll be weird all of a sudden. We've mutually decided to part ways. Usually that means yep. both parties have plans on what they're going to do next. Mm -hmm. Maybe that wasn't the case for Bill Belichick.